This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. Christmas is God's invasion of this earth. And we need to put aside the, the cuteness and the sen- sentimentality of babies and fluffy sheep and innocent donkeys gazing into cradles. Jesus came, he was sent by God to save his people from their sins, as the angel told Joseph. And God comes and he looks the horrible reality of human existence in the face and he enters into it. He faces up to the real problems of sin and death and the devil. And when Jesus is born into the human family, he becomes enmeshed in those problems himself. And once Bethlehem Bethlehem happens, there's no turning back for God. Salvation is on its way. So let's read from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 2. And we are going to read verses 10 to 18. Hear the word of the Lord. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. And these verses tell us that we cannot easily separate Christmas from Good Friday or Easter. It's all of one piece. It's all connected together because Christmas is the beginning of God's plan of salvation being rolled out. And I want you to see from this passage that salvation begins with God, not with the best and brightest human beings coming together in a committee or a conference to figure out how to fix our predicament. It comes from the heart of God himself. And salvation originates in the love and wisdom of our God who holds all things together. And God has a plan, and his plan is to bring many sons and daughters to glory. 
God wants to share his glory with a huge crowd of human beings that he wants to adopt as his own sons and his own daughters. And so God starts with this marvelous destiny plan for people who are lost and dead in their sins. And let's just stop and observe the generous, gracious heart of God that looks on us in our lostness and says, I have a destiny for these people. I have a destiny for them, not one that they can figure out and devise themselves, but one that I am going to bring about by my love and my wisdom and my power. Such is the generous heart of God. And having that plan, God does not sit back and wait for us to knock on his door because God will be waiting a very long time before any human being was able to arrive in his presence. God must go out and get us. I had my birthday party um, about 10 days ago at the hummus bar, the hummus bar, for those of you who prefer that pronunciation. And it's a, it seems like an easy place to get to because it's right across from the Rustavelli metro station. It's not because it's buried in this courtyard beside this exchange place and you're not going to find it just through Google Maps. And Vlad here called me and him and Sveta were very, very lost. And I tried to give them directions and finally said, just stay where you are and I'll come and get you. And they were wandering around by that, that bicycle, by the Radisson, and they were facing in the wrong direction. And I was like, turn around to your right. I'm here waving across the street. And God is the same way. Stay right where you are. I'm going to come and get you. Because it's the only way we'll ever arrive at the feast that God has planned for us. And God has a way of salvation planned that is deeply fitting. Not because there are external rules to which God must comply, but because he has a character of love and holiness and justice, and there is a right way for God to do things. And here's what God needs to do for us to arrive at the family feast in glory. He needs to send a hero, a champion, a pioneer. You could translate this word. Jesus has been sent by the love of God to come and fetch us. Because we can't help ourselves. We're in a situation here that we can't figure our way out of. God needs to send someone to grab us and take us home. And here a dark note enters our text because this pioneer needs to be made perfect, needs to be qualified for the job through suffering. Jesus' mission is going to be costly. The love of God is a very, very costly love. You know, at Yellowstone Park in the USA, there are all these thermal pools. And you have to walk along the boardwalk, and there's railings, and there are many signs warning you, don't wander off, because you might fall into one of these superheated pools. And of course, people do wander off because they're Americans and they love their freedom. And so they wander off the path. And inevitably, every year, people fall into those pools and are basically boiled to death. And there was a sad story a number of years ago about a guy whose dog fell into the pool. And without thinking, he jumped in afterwards to save this animal. 
and he was pulled out. His skin was basically falling off of him. The burns were so severe. And before he, he died, he said, I think I might have made a mistake. Our inclination is to keep needy people at arm's length, isn't it? And we don't want to enter into situations to help people if it's going to cost us and if it's going to cost us terribly. Michelle used to nanny for a family and the husband worked for the CIA and he had a habit of reversing into his driveway so that if any emergency should happen, he would be able to jump into his vehicle and speed out of there with his family, presumably. And some of us, most of us are like that, aren't we? We're always, we've always got an exit ready. And when demanding, needy, awkward people come to us, we are very careful not to get entangled in their problems, to get sucked into their world, because goodness knows what it's going to cost us and how on earth we're going to, we're going to be able to disengage from this person and their problems. God is not like that. He moves towards the most difficult, needy, awkward, demanding people and situations possible. And that's us. And God knows it's going to cost him. Our situation's so bad that God can't just stand at the outside of the pool shouting helpful advice or even stretch forward a stick or a pole for us to grab a hold of. If we're going to be rescued, God needs to get into our predicament with us. Because the fact is, we're not floating on the top of the pool, crying out for help. Ephesians 2 says we're dead in our sins and our trespasses. We're a lifeless corpse at the bottom. And if we're going to be resurrected, God needs to dive in and grab us, raise us to the surface, and breathe new life into our lungs. The only way for God to save us is to enter into our situation, to save us from the inside, as it were. And so here is the amazing plan of God's salvation. He sends Jesus to be incarnated, literally to take on human flesh, to become one of us, to be born into the human family as our older brother. And Hebrews tells us that Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and his sisters. You have some serious problems that you keep from the rest of us. God knows your problems and your issues, and he knows the things that make you feel dirty and shameful. And instead of moving away from you, like most people would do, God moves towards you in relationship, and he wants to draw you close into relationship with himself. That is the love of God, moves towards us and not away from us. And our text describes Jesus as being born into the human family and bringing us into the family of God as his brothers and sisters. Some of us come from difficult family situations. 
And it's different when you're part of a family with someone who's going through something painful. Because now you have obligations and responsibilities toward this sibling. And Jesus, as our older brother, now as a human being, has obligations toward the human race. He can't just ignore our problem. He can't just occupy himself with our own business and let us take care of it. As the older brother, Jesus has a responsibility to take care of our problem. And in most cultures, it would be deeply shameful for the older brother with all the resources to fail to help his younger siblings who are in need. And Jesus Christ has put himself in a situation where if he would now fail to help desperate human beings, it would bring shame on him as the older brother who has taken this responsibility on himself. Jesus was free to take or not to take this responsibility. But now that he has, now that he has become part of the family, he now has a responsibility towards desperate human beings. What Jesus has come into the world to do is not something for his own personal benefit, an interesting, an interesting project of his own. It's for a family. And the author to the Hebrews brings up these Old Testament texts speaking of the Messiah, the promised one, among his brothers and sisters, among the children of God. The first quote in verse 12 is actually from Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 is the famous psalm that begins with the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Words that Christ himself spoke on the cross. And it speaks of this righteous sufferer whose hands and feet are pierced, who's being mocked by evil men. And then it moves into triumph and vindication from God. And then the psalmist utters these words, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And the resurrected, ascended, vindicated Christ Jesus takes these words on his own lips. This is not for myself I have done these things. It's to create a family for God. And the second and third quotes are both from the same passage in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. And in that book, Isaiah is this prophet who's been rejected by the king and the people. And he stands alone, putting his trust in God, just like Jesus will do, along with his own children, the children that God has given him. Everything that Jesus does, he does in solidarity with his brothers and sisters. He's doing it on behalf of the family. Emmanuel means God with us. God has come to be with us. God with us. And when Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary, he becomes one of us. He remains fully God, but now he also becomes fully human. And he's taken on himself everything that is involved in human existence. And our author is at pains to make clear, Jesus didn't do this for angels. 
He didn't take on himself a nice, convenient spirit existence floating safely above us. He took on himself a human body with all of its pains and weaknesses and difficulties, and he entered into our situation. It's not angels that he helps, the author says, and that word helps could be translated better as seizes or lays hold of. In the incarnation, when Jesus becomes man, he lays hold of us with the tightest grip possible, in the closest possible embrace. Not safely, at arm's length, where we can't get him dirty. He comes as close as it is possible to come to us. Fully human in every respect. The only exception being that Jesus is sinless. But in everything that belongs to true human existence, Jesus Christ participates. And that's hard for us to fathom because we worship Jesus as this exalted God as we should, but we forget that he is also a human being just like us. And the early church father, Gregory of Nazianzus, laid out this theological dictum. What Jesus has not assumed has not been restored. In other words, if there is any aspect of our humanity that Jesus did not take on himself, that aspect cannot be redeemed. If Jesus did not truly and fully take on a human body, there is no hope for your human body. If Jesus did not take on himself a human mind, there's no hope for our broken human minds. If Jesus did not take on himself human emotions, the full range of human emotions, then there's no hope for our emotions. Every aspect of our humanity, Jesus has fully entered into in total identification with us. Jesus is just as human as everyone in this room. More human, in fact, because our sin dehumanizes us. And Jesus is the one man who fully bears the image of God as human beings were meant to bear. Now our passage lays out two awesome reasons that Jesus became man. The first one is this. Jesus became a hum human being to defeat death and the devil. Let's read verses 14 and 15 again. Since therefore the children, us, we share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Ever since the fall into sin, human beings have had the dark, cold shadow of death hanging over them. And we are very good at denying this and distracting ourselves, but it's always there in the background, this fear of death. The American comedian Woody Allen once remarked, it's not that I'm afraid of death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. And we all feel the same way, don't we? There is something terrible that we're all headed towards at the same speed. And for some of us, 
It's further away than others, but it's all coming towards us inevitably. The end of all love, of all joy, and of all hope. And we're going to come to this situation where in our last days we're going to experience total vulnerability and weakness and lack of control as we're taken over by the cold grip of death and head into the blackness. Something we all must face whether or not we believe in God. It's the common lot of the human race. Bertrand Russell was an English mathematician and philosopher, also a famous, famous atheist. And in his very honest book, A Free Man's Worship, he wrote these words. I believe that when I die, I shall rot. And nothing of my ego will survive. No fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. Brief and powerless is man's life. On him and all his race, the slow, sure doom falls, pitiless and dark. Such is the cheerful creed of atheism. But it's something we all must face, this malevolent power of death. And behind death stands a supernatural being who hates the human race, the devil. And he's the strong man who holds us all in bondage. And Jesus was born to defeat this strong man, to bind him and free us from the fear of death. He came, um, the ESV says destroy, but a better word is to render him impotent, to break Satan's power over us so that we would no longer have to be afraid of death. And the paradox is that Jesus deals with this by going into death himself. He takes on our blood and flesh so that he can die. He takes on his own shoulders our fallen, doomed humanity so that he can descend to the dead as our pioneer and champion. And something strange happened when Jesus died. Because up till then, everyone who had gone into the jaws of death had been a guilty person under the condemnation of God. And now, at last, someone perfectly innocent goes into death. And it puts death under a stress load that it was not engineered to handle. And you can imagine the gears of death grinding down on Jesus and the machine smoking and shaking. And finally, this machinery seizing and bending and snapping, unable to ingest this hero sent from God. And Christ emerges from the, from the grave victorious, death having been broken, and he ascends back to God in total victory over death and Satan and all of his demons.
And therefore, death is no longer something we need to fear. Because Jesus, our pioneer, has gone before us and ripped the guts out of this thing. Donald Gray Barnhouse was a great American preacher from the 1950s. And um, his wife died quite young. And he was driving in his car sometime after that with his children in the back seat. And they stopped at a railway crossing and a train, waiting for a train to go by. And he turned to his children and he asked, Children, would you rather be hit by the train or by its shadow? It was a winter day and the long shadow of the train was flickering over the car. And they said, the shadow, of course. He said, yes, children, Jesus allowed the train of death to hit him so that we would only ever be run over by its shadow. We must all go through death unless Jesus returns first, but only the powerless shadow of death so that we describe the death of those we love as falling asleep in Jesus, waiting for them to be woken up on the day of resurrection. Death is not yet destroyed, but it is decisively defeated by Jesus. But the rescue goes a level deeper than this because behind death and behind the devil, what gives them their sting and their power is human sin. That's what gives these things, these terrible things, a hold over us and what fills us with fear and anxiety about the future. And unless sin is dealt with once and for all, we must always live in anxiety and slavery estranged from God and unable to join his family. Our sin problem, and we all have it, gives us a God problem. Because our sin needs to be dealt with so we can enter into the holy presence of God. And so Jesus is born at Bethlehem as a baby for this reason, to make atonement as a faithful high priest for our sins. And already at Bethlehem, the shadow of the cross falls over the manger. This baby has been born to die. This is his mission. The only human being able to squarely face up to the consequences of human sin, of all of it laid on his shoulders. And this merciful and faithful high priest goes before God, having taken on himself all the guilt all the sin, all the shame of everyone who puts their faith in him. In Jesus, God comes to die to save us from his own holiness and bring us into his family. This is what the love of God means. God enmeshing himself into our situation, into our death, into our curse, into our sin, and into our shame. He's not holding us at arm's length. He's drawing us as close as it is possible to be so that we, all of us, can be sons and daughters who share the glory of God. And so this afternoon, God holds out his hands to every person here 
to welcome you into his family. This pioneer, this champion came for all of us. And look at the lengths that the love of God has gone to deal with your helpless, helpless situation. He has dealt with sin and death and the devil. Three terrible powers that are too much for any person in this room. Jesus takes care of it for us. And this offer is open to every person here. You can foolishly attempt to take care of those things yourself. And in the kindness of God, I want to tell you, you can't do it. These things are too big for you. And you are going to spend your whole life in fear and anxiety and guilt that you cannot deal with. But that's okay, because God has sent someone to take care of it for you, to take care of it finally and completely. And all he asks you to do is to repent, to be sorry for your sins and your rebellion against God, and put your faith in Jesus to do this for you. And of course, there is a word for those of us who have been following Jesus as his disciples, because we know it's a hard, stony road that we walk. And there is difficulty, and there is suffering, and there is temptation. And the author reminds us in this last verse, in verse 18, that because Jesus himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The road of disciples is not an easy one, but it's one that Jesus Christ has walked already. He has blazed the way for us. And he's with us by his Holy Spirit as we walk ourselves. As our older brother, Jesus takes responsibility for us. He doesn't ascend into heaven and let you deal with this problem yourself. Jesus has seized hold of you, and he is the one bringing you on this road. You are not alone. None of us who belong to Jesus are ever alone because our faithful and merciful high priest, our older brother, our pioneer, and our champion has laid hold of us. He's drawn us close so that God's destiny of glory and adoption in his family really will become what we enjoy forever and ever. Let's pray, shall we? And thank God for sending his son. Glorious, gracious God, we thank you for your large, generous heart that devises such good things for people like us who do not deserve them. And you have brought salvation for us at incredible cost to yourself. You have given us your son. And if you've not held your son back from us, how will you not also with him graciously give us all things? God, we pray for those here who do not know you, who are groping towards you. We pray that you would seize them by the hand, birth, faith, and life in their hearts by your Holy Spirit, and bring them into your own family as you have brought us. And Lord, give us the grace to persevere along this road. 
whatever we are tempted and tried by, whatever we must suffer through, we are on the path through the, through the grave to the glory that you have planned for us. Be with us, Lord Jesus. May we feel your nearness. In his name we pray. Amen. This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for listening.